Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of The Moves Room. You may be wondering where the charming, deep, melodious voice of Dr. Joe Armstrong is. It is our pleasure to let you know that we have a new member of the Moves Room family. Joe and his wife, Alex, recently welcomed their first son, Lachlan. So congratulations to them. Uh, Joe will hopefully be on uh, for future episodes, uh, but for right now, we wish him and his family all the best. So today, you're stuck with two-thirds of the OG3, myself, yes. Kruckelberg, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Bradley J. Hines. Yay. <laughs> and we have a very special guest today. Uh, he is a, a very close friend of the Moose Room and an extension colleague of Bradley and myself. It is Michael J. Cruz, PhD. Welcome, Mike. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course. So I think before we get to the big question, why don't you first tell us a little bit about uh, what you do for extension, where you work, etc. Sure. I am a local extension educator down in the southeast corner of the state. I officially cover both Fillmore and Houston counties down here, but tend to do stuff at the regional level as well. I cover everything from livestock and crops to zucchinis and master gardeners and everything in between. So take a lot of technical service calls, do a lot of farm safety work, cover quite a quite a range of topics. Wow. You should have said from alfalfa to zucchini, and then it could have been like cover everything from A to Z, but oh well. So, so we can call you about anything we want, right? Correct. Mike is the man, the dude. All right. So before we get into, you know, our conversation for the day, we have to start with our now two very important questions, because uh, you'll remember we added the second one. So first question for you, Mike, what is your favorite breed of dairy cattle? Dutch Belton. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Yay! <That's... laughs> Love it! Dutch Belton! Another now one. we have two for Dutch Belton. Wow. wow. I smell a comeback. I guess so. <laughs> Amazing. All right. And now for our new question. Uh, so the tally here is still pretty small. What is your favorite beef breed? Here's a curveball for you. Brahmin. Oh. Oh, I like wow. that. And, and any particular reason? They look cool. They look cool. That's why I like Dutch Belted. So they're, yeah. Brahmins are cool. There's a lot of them down in uh, the southern part of the U.S. It's nice and hot. Yeah. So now cool. that's uh, what we're two for Angus, one for Hereford, one for Kianina, and one for Brahmin. Wow, that's a, a lot more diverse than the uh, dairy breeds. Yes, quite the spread here. So yes. it'll be interesting as we uh, move forward with, with what we all get on that. All right. So now we'll get on to, you know, the real business here. We'll get into it. Mike, tell us a little more about, you know, what you do, either that's in work or some of your educational background. Um, you know, you are a little different uh, from the rest of us here on the Moose Room and that you're much more of a generalist, which is really cool. You get to do everything from alfalfa to zucchini. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so tell us a little more about the things you do, what you work on, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. What's sure. happening in Fillmore and Houston counties? Well, crops are growing and it's raining. So, I mean, that's basically it, right? No. Okay. 
Um, That's you know, unlike it, the rest of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's actually been kind of a strange year as far as like living in the state of Minnesota, right? Western half of Minnesota has been very dry up until you know a couple last weeks here, while the southeast actually kind of after our very early cold snap that we had, we've been pretty wet. We've actually had a decent amount of rain down here. So we've had some varying issues. You know, I get on crops calls and things like that. And people are talking about things getting too dry and turning on irrigators. And we're worried about standing water and whether or not we can get it in spray. So it's, it's a yeah, variation. And um, it kind of plays into some of my background as well. So um, I'm originally from Northeast Iowa, not too far away from where I'm at now. We Uh, forgive you. Go Hawkeyes. Oh, Bradley. <laughs> uh, I grew up on a crop uh, crop farm. My dad custom farmed about 2,200 acres. Um, I've got a couple of degrees from Iowa State. I've got another degree from uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, mm-hmm. Came over here, so I did a whole bunch of work in cropping systems, uh, energy budgets, uh, carbon cycling, things of that nature, right? Uh, the work down here that I do from day to day obviously varies. Uh, uh, this year I've gotten a ton of calls from everything from farm programs to, again, what's killing my zucchini and what's growing on my raspberries to uh, how can we turn in uh, people for pesticide drift. Um, so it's, uh, it, it varies from day to day, so it keeps you on your toes. At the same time, we do have some pretty standard programs. You know, we support a lot of extension work when it comes to say like land rent meetings, private pesticide applicator trainings. Uh, We try to support 4-H, especially at our county fairs. Uh, One of the big programs that we do down here is we actually host a fourth grade farm safety day every year for all of the fourth graders in both Fillmore and Houston counties. So we get anywhere between four and 600 students uh, come down to the Maple Steam Engine Grounds every year and they cycle through a whole bunch of safety sessions. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a really good diverse set of work, keeps you on your toes and keeps you moving, so. So what, what does a farm safety workshop look like with uh, elementary students? How do you teach them about farm safety? Right. So thankfully, I walked in on a pretty good situation, right? So for a very long time, Extension's been putting on relatively small farm safety events, usually during the summer at their respective county fairgrounds, right? Might get 10, 12, 15 kids. And they're going to range anywhere from fourth grade to high school and everywhere in between. Um, So it's a pretty wide group to try to teach. um, And it's, it's very difficult to get a lot of involvement. What my predecessor, Jerry Tesmer, did in this position before I came is he actually got the schools involved. And so now every year, every school in these two counties sets it up as this is the fourth grade field trip every year, right? And they don't have to travel far. We provide a lunch. It's a good schedule. It's a bunch of good education. So we, we got the schools on board, which obviously increases our participation, and then we, it's only fourth graders. So it's really easy for our presenters, and we usually have 13 different sessions, um, to tailor their presentations directly to that age group, which obviously makes it a lot easier than trying to teach kids all the way from fourth to 12th grade, right? Um, during the day, you know, the kids show up to school at normal time, drive down to Mabel, and they get out. We have 13 different sessions, about 15 minutes a piece. They just cycle through them on a set 
uh, time. We provide a lunch at the middle of the day. By the end of the day, they're gone. A couple of schools have to leave early because they're at the outskirts of the two counties. Um, but other than that, we get through 13 different things going on all at the same time. Well, that sounds like a crazy day to me, but <laughs> probably well worth it for those uh, uh, school-age kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's always um, highly recommended. People talk about it afterwards, and we get a lot of local support. Uh, all of our presenters are volunteers, and we usually raise anywhere from four to $5,000 every year to do this. Wow. Well, that's good. Well, let's talk a little bit about Mike's background. So, so you did a lot of soil health and soil work in your all your lovely degrees that uh, you have. What, so what, what did you do? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of my work, especially in my master's and my PhD stuff, um, isn't overly applicable to what I'm doing today. I know, shocker. He turns into a generalist and the stuff he does that's really specific doesn't really apply. So, uh, but the general principles do, right? So undergrad, uh, agronomy major, uh, did some science minor work, uh, master's, crop production and physiology, uh, minor in sustainable agriculture. And then my PhD work was actually um, specifically in um, something called environmental biophysics. So it was a lot of- Environmental biophysics. Sounds like something I could never figure out how wow. to do. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a lot That's of a math. Uh, so if you can record the heat, the wind speed, the radiation, the dew point, yada, yada, yada. Um, can you predict how much photosynthesis is actually happening in a given crop? And mm -hmm. then if you can do that, can you actually combine that with how much is that crop respiring both from above ground and below ground parts to say how much carbon is actually going into the ecosystem? Hmm. That was the goal. Hmm. Brad, you know what I think he should do? What? What do you always do? Put a sensor in it. Oh, that's right. Exactly. But can't you measure all that stuff with sensors now? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we are. did. That was exactly what we did. <laughs> Just use drones now. Drones are cool. You can measure lots of stuff with drones and, and also, props. So during my master's work, um, I actually worked with um, what were termed in that experiment are low external input systems, right? We were trying to, in general, cycle those systems a lot more of taking, like, say, cattle manure and bringing it back in and trying to reduce the amount of fertilizer we were putting on and the amount of herbicides that were being used um, just to try to close that cycle down. And my part in that during my master's work was actually to do an energy budget. On, on those systems. Um, so I spent a lot of time working on cropping systems and I've, I've seen, you know, did a lot of work with small grains, alfalfa, corn, soybeans, uh, pretty typical Midwest mix on that one. Uh, I've also spent quite a bit of time doing uh, crop research, just general crop research. So looking at um, yield research across probably six or seven different Midwest states uh, for both corn and soybeans. Um, so I was that guy for the USDA and uh, another uh, company here. Yeah, it was right around my master's work. Hmm. And then my PhD work was actually in bioenergy cropping systems. So I was working on a continuous corn system, switchgrass, and actually a fast growing hybrid poplar system. Um, so very, very different systems, uh, lots of variability in there, had some very interesting, uh, interesting work environments, we put it that way. So, but you know, it's a, 
it's a good mix of different approaches to agriculture where I wasn't just kind of pigeonholed into we only grow corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have, a, I have some experience, not directly with livestock, but the integration of livestock into cropping systems. Right. I also have some experience of thinking about and talking about bioenergy cropping systems and how we're not just producing it for food, but we're using stuff for maybe a forage approach or an energy approach. Right. So that range in my background does give me, you know, it gives me, well, it gives me background, gives me things to think about when I'm talking about general questions that come into our office. Maybe not what's killing my zucchini, but like, hey, how do I make, you know, recommendations on should I replant my alfalfa standard? You get any? Well, so now you bring up farm safety and, and Mike is being a little bashful. He has been a real a promoter of farm safety and farm safety programming for extension around the state uh, since he joined extension, what, four or five years ago, yeah. a lifetime ago, basically at this point. Right. Um, and, and one of those programs was a youth tractor safety program. And uh, now I'm very fortunate to, to be the person who gets to lead that program, but <laughs> Leading it is basically emailing and calling Mike and going, what about this? Tell me about this. What do you think I should do? Uh, so Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, youth tractor safety, as this is certainly something uh, that our listeners who have kids will probably want to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. So when, again, when I first came in, this was a program that had kind of been started by my predecessor, kind of not. It was one of those that was kind of fizzling out. Um, for those of you who have been involved in extension for a number of years, you'll remember that usually extension educators ran something like this all across the state, all across the Midwest. Uh, I think by the time I started, we could only find maybe two or three of these like officially being run across the state of Minnesota. Um, and one of them happened to be down in my area. So the first year I went to it, and what it is is, it's a, it's a training that's designed for 14 and 15 year olds. And the idea is that if a 14 and 15 year old is going to work with a tractor that has over 20 horsepower off of their family farm, they have to go through this training. Otherwise it's illegal at the federal level. Hmm. So obviously they can work on their own farm, their own family farm, and they're fine. But if they're off of their family farm, working with bigger, bigger equipment, and frankly, 20 horsepower, you're looking at a decent-sized lawnmower now. Um, yeah, you, you're supposed to have this training if you're 14 and 15. And so you provide this training. It's usually going to be multiple days. They have to take written tests. They have to go over curriculum and pass a driving course. The, the first year I showed up and I went to, and I just observed, really. And what I kind of found was that uh, the... The material was lacking. It really wasn't being that great. It wasn't a great educational experience. And the kids just weren't getting a whole lot of hands-on time with their equipment. And so what I did with a group of, I think it started with three of us that first year, we sat down and we're like, okay, how can we not only kind of redo this program, but also start expanding it around the state, get it to some other local educators. And over the course of time and through a great team of educators and a bunch of people, you know, the great thing about leading is when you can start going, I didn't do anything. 
I helped people like kind of direct them to where they were going, but yeah, it was the team that really got this down is um, we ended up doing a hybrid model. So the kids will spend some time doing stuff at home, just going through the basic curriculum. Um, and then they'll end up taking a written test on their own time, but then they come in for a two day program where we not only are practicing with the equipment and taking a driving test, but the kids are also getting hands-on experience doing things like CPR. They're working with PTO safety. Um, we've had demonstrations from, um, you know, former state patrol officers, uh, a lot of things we're bringing in community members, people who have had accidents, people who have survived rollover accidents will come in and actually talk to them. And uh, like, for example, we've got a actually he's a commissioner now down here in Houston County. Um, he'll come down and he'll show the big scar from where he actually got rolled over on and he had acid dripping on him. And yeah, so it's it's these impactful stories, you know, that that kind of make a, a real impact on that 14 and 15 year old age range. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, really great program. I've had the opportunity to be a part of it now too. Um, and there is, you know, something to be said for, for farm safety at all ages, uh, I think is really important. And, you know, Mike, would you say you kind of got into this farm safety stuff just because it was already there uh, when you got to your job or, or you know, what, uh, what else about farm safety makes you tick? Well, I think being raised on a farm and just being aware of some of those those issues being taught that by my parents and by, you know, other people around the farm, it's always been something that's there, right? You're farm safety for life. You're learner for life. You're always one of those types of things, right? But there really is a very real component of this where I came into a position, especially on the local level, they, you know, the local people are the ones that are actually paying for your position. And so this was something that was very important to them, that they still host this farm safety day and that they still do youth tractor safety training. And so, yeah, I, I might have kicked it up a notch. I was interested in it before, obviously, but I kicked it up a notch when I started this position because that's what the local population values. What do you think? All right. This is kind of like an, an around the horn question. So I want everybody to answer. What do you think is the biggest farm safety issue on farms? One thing, you can only pick one thing. Do you want issue or like the one thing that could improve farm safety? Yes. Ah. It, well, in my mind, I think it's machinery. I think that is, it, it, it seems, well, those are the things that we always hear about as far as farm safety with either lost limbs or farm accidents, things like that, it, it seems to be machinery a lot, machine related, maybe not so much, you know, there's been a lot of machinery from many years ago, you know, from corn pickers to PTO chefs to all kinds of stuff. I think machinery uh, is also one. I'm also passionate about another farm safety issue. I'll give you two. Oh, and I, all right. Okay. The rules already, whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's one that we don't think about uh, a lot when we think about farm safety. And I think it's bulls on the farm. Ooh, Dar yeah. Dairy bulls on the farm, in my mind, is a big farm safety issue. Every now and then you hear about uh, somebody passing away because of a, a bull accident or something like that. I think, you know, bulls, we, we think they're nice and friendly, but then they can turn any minute. And I think 
I am very leery about going onto a farm or getting into a pen of cows or anything like that, knowing that there's a bull in there, especially a Jersey bull. Uh, they could be pretty yeah. nasty. So they're feisty. Yeah. Uh, bulls, I think is one that we, we tend to forget about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point, Bradley, that we, you know, tend to let our guard down over time, probably, you know, with, with any animals. And I think that we always need to remember to kind of, uh, you know, be vigilant uh, whenever we're working with animals, but bulls especially. And, you know, we were talking about that, what, a few episodes ago um, about, you know, cleanup bulls and and that's pretty common practice in beef and then kind of talking about it for dairy. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a proponent of it uh, just yet because bulls are dangerous. Mike, what about you? I'm with Brad on this one. Um, as far as the machinery part, you know, there's a lot of ranging issues, right? Anywhere from PTOs to general tractor rollover to, you know, how to use a front loader and you're messing with your center of gravity. I think the one that I would pick on as something that is a bigger concern of mine is actually ATVs um, and smaller equipment like that. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a lot of those where we want to do something quick and we're, we're taking corners fast or, you know, you're younger and like, hey, I could go up on the road, but maybe I'll just ramp on the ditch here. Or, you know, I, I'm behind on this. I got to go do that. And you, you maybe don't throw a helmet on or whatnot, whatever it might be, right? I just feel like those pieces of equipment can lead to some real issues. And, you know, I, I've told people this when I, when I talk about that youth tractor safety training. Like, I've only got the kids for a couple of days, right? So there's no way that I'm going to change all of their habits and I'm really going to get them going the right direction. Um, but one of the things I really try to stress is, and I hope I get them, um, to do this is just slow down, right? Like it, you don't have to go to a stop. You don't just have to putter around, but if you take a corner, you know, a mile or two, an hour slower, or if you're on that ATV and you don't just whip a corner and you just kind of ease into it and take it easy, like just slowing down a little bit you know, it prevents rollovers, it gives you more time to see. So then if, you know, young kids are on the farm, then they run out, you can actually stop in time. So those are my two big things. You know, I, I, I'm always worried about ATVs, snowmobiles kind of go in the same in category. And if I can get the kids to do anything, it's just slow down just a little bit. Yeah, what about you, point. Emily? Ooh. Oh, yeah. The, the farm safety expert. Yeah. So I think the biggest issue on most farms as related to farm safety are the people, right? Um, I, <laughs> I wish everybody could have seen the faces these two made. It was like the exact <laughs> same reaction. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the biggest farm safety risk on any farm is the people. And what I mean by that is, right, we, unlike machinery, uh, we have brains, right? And we are much more dynamic and that will change our minds and we might make decisions uh, based on emotion rather than logic, all of those kinds of things. Whereas, you know, machinery, especially, obviously livestock have brains, so that's a separate conversation, but machinery is static, meaning, you know, it doesn't change. It's always going to move the same way. Even if something's broken, not working, mm -hmm. you still always know where the parts are and you always know like the PTO shaft is going to be spinning. That doesn't change. And of course, if it's not spinning and that's what you're going after, you know, people still need to remember that's what it's supposed to do. And, you know, we forget to cut off the power to things. We try to cut corners. We don't want to put shields back on because they're annoying and it takes too much time. 
And, you know, when, when you look at farm safety accidents, um, I'm not here to say that, oh, everybody's doing everything wrong. Uh, but I know, you know, just from my own family, right? I have two family members that have been injured in egg accidents that have both lost limbs. And both of them will admit their own fault in what happened to them. You know, oh, I wasn't paying attention or I didn't double check this or whatever it may be. And so, yeah, I know that's kind of a, you know, heated opinion maybe, but I think people are the biggest issue. They are the first and last defense, I think, um, when it comes to preventing accidents on the farm. Brad, I feel like we just got one upped by the farm safety expert. I think we did. Well, that's her job now. That's, that's what right. She, that's she, right. She, Good point. she should one up us. She should. Well, and and I usually sit and uh, you know let the doctors, and I'm still joined by two doctors. You know, do uh, do all the heavy intellectual lifting. But do you get any weird questions? No. Is there any weird? You know, <laughs> get any weird? Yeah. Questions? What's the weirdest question you've ever gotten? You know what? Oh gosh. That is a good question. Frankly, you guys go on because I I'm gonna I'm gonna look through some of my notes here just so I can find a doozy for you. Brad, what's the most interesting question you've ever gotten in your time with Extension? Oh boy. Well, while you guys think, uh, yeah. I'm actually gonna tell other people's stories because I never <laughs> okay. got any the most Interesting one I got was probably uh, last winter when we had that really bad cold snap and it was, you know, the outside air temperature was negative 36 or something. I had a cattle producer from Florida call me and she was just generally interested to know how we keep cattle alive when it's that cold outside. Wow. Because she just had no idea. So that was a really interesting conversation. But one of my favorites comes from a former colleague of ours and Bradley's former grad student, uh, Mr. Mike Donnelly, when he had a, a person call him one time and said that there were two geese fighting in her yard. And what should she do about it? <laughs> so that one always holds a special place in my heart. So shout out to you, Mike Donnelly. Thank you for that excellent story. I don't know if I've had any like weird off the wall questions. I get lots of other questions related to other species that I am not that familiar with, uh, sheep or goats, things like that. So it makes, I am not an expert in any of those. I try and work my way through it, but, uh, I don't know if I, I can't remember any weird type questions that I, I've had. Mm, sounds boring. It, yeah, that's my life, you know. Yeah. All right, Mike, what about you? You got one now? Well, the the favorite type of question um, that, that kind of is mind-boggling for me a little bit is when you get the, I would like to grow X. Tell me everything I need to know to grow X, whether it's cattle, whether it's pasture, whether it's apples, blueberries, and you're sitting there kind of going, give me a starting spot. Have you read anything? Have you, you know, have you done any background work? What do you own for equipment? Like, so you start going through these, you know, fun little conversations, right? But at the first, like, when they throw that at you right away, you're just kind of like, it's daunting. I don't really know what to do. Yeah. I, I remember I had one similar to that. I had a person call me and they said, 
I want to have an apple orchard and also graze sheep in it. How do I do that? That, that was, that was a fun one too. So, but that's uh, what I like about this job too. The, you know, we get to talk to all the producers and consumers and all those people and, and uh, figure out some of these things for ourselves too. You know, like you already said, Mike, lifelong learner. And I have learned more in this job than in all my years of schooling. Yeah. And the nice thing to touch on Brad's point too, um, you know, when questions come in on sheep or something that we don't really have a strong background in, it's really fun to be able to connect with, you know, the other ed- other educators that are in the area around the state, even some of them out of state, right? To figure out, hey, this is the question I got. I really don't know. And can you help? And oftentimes it's within a day you can you can find somebody pretty quickly. And in Minnesota, we're, we're very lucky to have a joint position with uh, Minnesota Extension and NDSU Extension to do some sheep stuff. So there are lots of different people uh, around there and even in different states that work for us and, and don't to find those answers. Yep. So yeah, we're, we're pretty diverse and we can, we'll figure it out for you. We'll figure it out. We don't know the answer. We can always find someone who does. I'm curious. I got a couple of questions for you, for you too. And then I'll as well. Um, what do you think is the most pressing issue outside of finances, right? So outside of finances and just general market availability, right? What's the most pressing issue in your respective areas of agriculture, whether it's organic dairy, livestock, whatever it might be. And then let's answer the first question. Okay. Okay. Let's answer the first one. (laughs) All right. I'll go first. Biggest issue stress and overall well-being of farmers, which I mean, you both should have seen that coming. Everybody listening yeah. should have seen that one coming. So how do you deal with that then? I guess that was kind of like the follow-up. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, first I kind of start with what we've really been working on in extension and, and a lot of agricultural organizations that are talking about farm stress right now and farmer mental health is just getting out there and starting to have that conversation. and what I really am starting to focus on is getting people to see how much their overall health ties into their ability to do their job. If you aren't feeling well mentally, physically, emotionally, you are not going to be able to perform at your best. And what happens mentally impacts us emotionally and physically. And what happens physically impacts us mentally and emotionally. You know, do you sense a theme here? It's all interconnected. And I think too, and people are stressed and poor mental health. That's when we're more likely to see accidents as well. So it's this overall, you know, farm safety and health piece, uh, which of course is my job title. So I have to promote that. Um, But as far as how do I deal with that? You know, like I already said, my part of it is just starting to have these conversations and, and helping people to understand, you know, if you just do a few little simple things in a day to take care of yourself and to make sure you're okay. And even, Things like making sure you get yearly physicals and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think of people like my dad. Uh, he's my dad, so I can throw him under the bus here. You know, he'll go 10 years without going to a doctor. Um, you know, and, and a lot can happen in that time. And so for me, that's a, that's a really big issue that I see. And I think that people don't give enough credit to the fact that that 
hugely impacts everything else that happens on your farm. Well, I'm the livestock person, so I'm going to give you some livestock stuff. It's animal welfare, animal welfare and well-being. I think that's a hot topic no matter what you talk. If you talk beef cattle, dairy cattle, swine, horse, you name it, it's at the forefront of a lot of discussions in the livestock world uh, is animal welfare. Uh, the other one that it just keeps popping up all the time, we, 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 it's in the news again, greenhouse gases greenhouse gases uh, related, you know, to a lot of different things. And I don't want to go into that, but uh, reducing uh, greenhouse gases in the livestock sector are uh, probably the two biggest pressing issues right now that are at the consumer forefront, in my mind. Another one I would add, I'm very focused on like the people aspect of it today. Labor management. I think that's a huge issue on farms with lack of labor or lack of organization of your labor. I think we run into that issue, especially on smaller farms where it's all family. And so everybody's kind of trying to do everything, which of course means everybody's doing nothing. Um, And so that I think really adds another layer of pressure to to farms in a way that they might not even realize, just like the health stuff. Because I know Bradley, you've dealt with a lot of, you know, labor issues and and those types of things. And you've seen a lot of people that have dealt with them too in the farms you've been on. Mike, I don't know if you run into something similar, but I know that's always a really hot topic, um, something that a lot of farmers think about and are worried about. I would say one of the most pressing ones that comes across my desk in a lot of different ways, right, is the um, miscommunication, lack of communication, misunderstanding between farmers, general population, between different farmer groups, whether it's conventional, organic, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of clashing, right? A lot of headbutting. And if you're on one side, you're fully on one side and not on the other side. And there's a lot of misunderstanding of just how hard farmers work for animal welfare, but at the same time, I'm just picking on animal welfare for an example here. Uh, I do think that farmers have room to grow, right? There's a middle ground there, but we get a lot of groups that are so separate and so far apart. You know, I'll get calls of, well, how do I get X farmer to change what he's doing? And you're just sitting there kind of going, well, not taking that approach. Uh, (laughs) You probably want to start with a conversation maybe first and and, and an openness to, uh, to listen and to learn, right? Um, because a lot of people do a lot of different things for different reasons. And if you don't actually talk to them and ask them why they're doing it, uh, you might not actually understand the thought behind it and the reasons why they're doing it. Right. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or otherwise, but you got to start with the conversation before you're trying to throw money at a deal and trying to change people in the way they live. All right. Well then I think that that is going to be a wrap on this episode since we don't have Joe to tell us if it's good enough or not, or if he has enough usable stuff. So good luck to Joe, who's still going to edit this. You're the best, Joe. We love you. Love you, Joe. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations again, Joe, to you and Alex. I'm on the birth of Lachlan. We're very excited to meet him. As always, questions, comments, scathing rebuttal. uh, You can email us at themoosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. 
Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you again to our special guest, Michael J. Cruz, PhD. Uh, fun little potpourri episode where we just got to learn a little bit more about one of our colleagues. So uh, if you liked this, let us know. Send us an email. If you didn't, email Brad directly. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Yeah, but you're a very close friend of the Moose Room, so I can ridicule you just the same. Mm-hmm.